Welcome to Market Matters, our markets podcast on making sense, the hub for J.P. Morgan corporate and investment bank podcasts. In each episode of Market Matters, we discuss the latest news and trends shaping markets today. Hi, I'm Eloise Goulder, head of the Data Assets and Alpha Group here at J.P. Morgan. Today, I'm joined by Frederick Yatch from our Investable Indices team. And I'm really looking forward to exploring his time traveller data set and learning about what it says about markets today. So, Frederick, thank you so much for joining me here today. Thank you. It's nice to be here again. And for the benefit of our listeners, it's worth pointing out that this is part two of our conversation. Earlier on, we were discussing the backdrop to your work and your philosophy, Frederick, behind Alpha Signals. That was really part one in this series. But now in part two, we plan to delve into your time traveler data set and talk about what it means for markets today. So, Frederick, can you start with the context and tell us a bit of background behind The Time Traveller? Yes. So The Time Traveller builds upon this idea that if everyone has perfect information of the current environment and all the economic variables and all the microeconomic variables, together with a perfect recollection of the past, there wouldn't be anything to predict. Everything would just be total noise or just chaos, and you couldn't predict anything. But this builds on the idea that, first of all, people may not have perfect information. So we can essentially have better information using, as an example, the JP Max dataset we talked about and the the SIF dataset, but also the fact that we have all of the history to learn from. And if people are not aware of what can potentially happen, and you're looking at a scenario where you have nothing to compare to or you have insufficient information to compare to, it essentially means that maybe the outcome is going to be similar to something in the past. That essentially, even if it's not completely the same, same type of outcome, it's similar. So let's say an example of this would be, this scenario looks like 1984, as an example. And I'm not referring to the book, obviously, I'm referring Mm. to the actual year. If the scenario we're in, and this is just a hypothetical example, if people are not aware of what happened in 1984, and they're just reviewing this event as something completely new, we can have a sort of knowledge on the situation by understanding history and then be able to understand, as an example, what happened to different asset prices. So the idea with Time Traveler is to build upon the assumption that people aren't interested in history and that you can essentially learn from it. And how do you go about doing that? I'm I'm aware that you leverage the quite unique and proprietary data sets that you have access to, your very own SIFT data set, Strategic Index Fundamental Toolkit, which goes back to the 1960s, and also the JP Max data set, which provides macro data on an as-of basis. What are you doing then to come up with your time traveler predictions? So what we're trying to achieve is something that is logical and simple to understand, and that has a, a high level of transparency. We don't want to build a very complex black box, if you will. And we want it to follow a logic that we can essentially look at and explain. So if I wanted to understand economics today or the regime today, I would say, okay, first of all, approximately what's happening. So we would then be looking at growth and inflation and different ways of characterizing that. We would be looking at yields to understand approximately what are we focusing on. So today, it's obviously, will there be a recession? Inflation has been high, but it's trending down. That takes us to number two of what we're looking at. We're then looking at what's essentially going on. What are the slopes of all these variables? And where have we been heading, basically? 
And that information is important. That essentially tells us where in the economic cycle are we and approximately where are we heading. But it doesn't tell us everything. The next thing we need to do is understand what has been priced. Markets are not exactly the same. You can't just say that, okay, let's find every situation in the past where inflation went down from a high level. That's not going to be very informative because it doesn't tell us what the market has been pricing. So we essentially have three levels. So first of all, pinpoint approximately where we are, then look at approximately where have we been heading, and then look at what's been priced. And it's essentially a three-tiered model where we mm. just focused in that particular order. And so if I was a subscriber to your data set, what would I receive as part of the Time Traveler toolkit? So what we're trying to achieve is we take the current economics and we take the current state of the economy and then we're trying to see what are the points in history that are closest to the current. We use a very simple, if you will, machine learning algorithm to come up with these points. So today it's going to tell us that we are approximately in a period which looks like 69 to 1970, in the mid-1970s and the early 1980s. We're basically going to get then 10 historical dates for each and every one of the economies we track. So we don't just track the US economy, we track the eight largest economies, and they will be different from each other. And then you get these essential dates that you can use for storytelling and to understand a little bit what's been going on and what does this compare to. But then, most crucially, if we have those dates, what we can then do is to look at asset prices. So we've been essentially extracting and sort of extrapolating backwards, if you will, asset prices as far back as we can. So we obviously have FX and FX forwards going back to the early 1970s. But we also have equity future contracts that aren't, obviously, you didn't trade equity futures back in the 60s, but we can obviously create data sets that are very similar so that we can essentially look at the risk premium and all of these different asset classes and how they behaved from that point onwards. So as an example today, if we then look at all those dates that we look at today, we can then see the expected returns from different assets. So today, what does that tell us? So it tells us basically to be cautious. Some of the dams we see leads to a recession, but there are situations in the past that are similar to what we're looking at where it didn't turn out to be that bad. So we are at the tipping point. I think everyone is afraid that, okay, now unemployment rate, will that start to rise heavily? Have uh, central banks been hiking too hard in certain areas and countries? Maybe, but the idea is if we look in the past, it's not a clear cut. It's going to be different types of events. And it does tell us to be cautious and that equities will probably be in a bit of a bearish state, but it's not clear cut minus 30%. So going back to your data set, is this a daily data set? Yes. So we will then reflect the economy at each day. So if there is new information coming from uh, any of the markets we look at or any of the variables we look at, meaning if CPI is released on the 10th, we will then reflect that on the 10th. So it's going to be a daily data set. If I were to receive your time traveler data, I would see a set of 10 dates for every economy that you track that the current scenario looks most close to in the past, going back to 1960. Exactly. So those dates can be anywhere between, say, five years ago. We always have a cutoff because if you're just looking at what's been close, we see that there will always be sort of artificial closeness to where you are in. So we have a cutoff, which is five years, but you will get 48 economies we track, which is US, Canada, France, Germany, Great Britain, Italy, Australia, and Japan. You get those dates. And then for a very broad range of assets, you will then have the expected returns from those. And those are typically your 
those regional equity markets, your regional bond markets, you will have a wide range of commodities and FX. And then using the SIF data set, we also go into industry group and sectors, and we go into factors. So you can essentially use this as a tool to understand more about the prospects of US or regional sectors and factors. So I can absolutely see why your time traveler data set is a very powerful storytelling tool. And I'd like to go back into that in a second, if you don't mind, to understand a little bit more about those dates that you argued we look quite similar to right now. But before we go there, how would an investor leverage this information? So if you're talking about receiving 10 historical dates for every economy, and those reflect the 10 points in history that most reflect current market dynamics. And then you have expected asset returns for those dates. How would you suggest the investors use that information? Should they, for example, equally weight those 10 different dates to have an idea about expected returns in future? So the way we think about this is that the closest date is going to be more relevant. And the least close date, if you will, is going to be less relevant. Mm. But it's not as clear as that you can only use one date because you cannot predict anything completely. Yes. So there is a bit of a diversification to be had in averaging those. The way we do it when we average into creating the expected returns is that we wait a little bit more to the closest scenarios and a little yes. bit less to the further away scenarios. But essentially, there are different ways you can use this data. So, I mean, in the end, we will provide this to clients as a data set, but we also do offer investable products on the basis of it. Those can act as examples here. So one thing you can do is to use it as an input to a cross-asset strategy or to a, as an example, a 60-40 portfolio and then try to time equities versus bonds, not just on an outright level, but also on an intra-regional level where you can go in and say, how should I allocate between regions in equities and within bonds mm. can be used. As mentioned earlier, you can also use this to allocate between industry groups within local equity markets or even factors. So there is a wide range of things you can use it for. I would say the typical investment horizon, this is not a short-term product. This is not something that even if the signal is daily, your investment horizon and the prediction horizon we think this has a efficacy on is three to six months, something like that, which means we will give clients expected returns on a one-month to a one-year basis. And if you average that, it will be approximately six months. And this is a relatively new data set, so I assume you don't have a lot of live performance stats on it yet. If that's the case, though, do you have backtest performance stats in terms of the efficacy of these predicted future returns? I think there are various ways of showing the efficacy of the model and how that can be used. So first of all, we can look at what the model outputs. And this model actually doesn't learn anything. It's just a algorithm to detect dates. And then the idea is to prove whether or not that is a valid way of looking at markets. So we can then look at the expected returns and then basically compare versus what we saw exactly. in the future. And what we see is a accuracy that is well above the random guess, if you will. But we can also look at the correlation, as an example, between the output from model versus actual outcomes. And there is a strong correlation there. The reason why we can say that it's strong is when we compare it to other models we have, such as as an example, the pure alpha model on single stocks that we have that is built around more complex machine learning techniques. It's a very high level of accuracy and the correlation. But then obviously, nothing of that matters if you cannot create a strategy on the back of it. So whereas I don't think that backtesting is the proof of something, it is not something that can be used just on its own to prove that something works. 
it certainly gives us returns in a backtest. So we can look at that from a cross-asset basis and create a cross-asset, either long-only or long-short product, but also on, say, industry group timing, where we have a net zero portfolio with different industry groups and be dynamic around that. And it certainly gives us an alpha over time. And can you speak to the magnitude of that alpha in terms of percentage returns or hit rates or sharps, for example? So we see... As an example, sharp ratios and risk-adjusted returns being similar to classical strategies in the same fields could be different types of factors on industry groups, as an example. So what we see there is it gives us a sharp ratio between 0.5 and 0.7 over mm. a long period of time, but it's basically uncorrelated to momentum or, or similar things in that area. But also for a cross-asset product, we can see that it's uncomparable to trend. They are very low correlated and have roughly similar sharp ratios over time. I can imagine that lack of correlation with other factors, standard risk premium factors, or perhaps momentum is a really powerful attribute of this particular data set. Definitely. I mean, one of the things I believe in is that you shouldn't create something that is more complex. We see this as a simple product, but it's going to be more complex than just buying trend. And I think trend is an important part of a portfolio. But if we did something more complex, it wouldn't actually be valuable if it just did the same thing as something simple. So yes, it's something that can definitely diversify a portfolio. And it is an approach that, if we go back to what we discussed in part one, that we're trying to look at this from a different angle. We're trying to look at this from a orthogonal angle towards everything else and looking at it from a non-chronological perspective. And that's essentially what we're trying to do. We're trying to create something that is diversifying. Yeah, absolutely. So there's definitely power in the forecasting ability of this data set for an investor. And I think that's fantastic. But there's also power, as I think you've alluded to earlier, in the storytelling narrative of this data set and maybe the explainability narrative, the idea that you can help understand and put into context current markets. And you mentioned earlier, Frederick, that I think 1969, 74 and an early 80s date set were the most relevant to current market conditions. Is that right? Is that the case specifically for US markets? And why is that the case? I mean, I would imagine that high-ish inflation is the main determinant of that. But what more can you tell us about that? It's definitely great. That's approximately where we are. Then the exact timing of what market has been pricing, it goes up and down because markets aren't moving in one specific direction at the moment. It goes up and down and it's a little bit uncertain on various different topics. So it's basically telling us to be cautious because it does go back and forth. So as an example... It has been hovering around 1969 and 1970 for quite some time. And sometimes it goes back to the part of history where inflation had peaked and started to go down versus where it had actually bottomed out and markets have started to go up and then basically tries to pinpoint within that specific region what's most closest in terms of, say, pricing. Because I think, generally speaking, inflation is still rather high, especially so in Europe, but it's definitely trending down, which is an important part of the information. But that's only one part of the puzzle, right? Because then we're looking at growth. Real growth is close to zero, but it's not showing that we are clearly in a strong recession. Unemployment rate is a bit of a weird one because it's much lower, even if we normalize the data, it's much lower and stable, to be honest, than what yes. we saw in historical episodes. So it's not never going to be completely similar to the past. There is certainly inflection point, if you will. These dates that you've mentioned, are they specific to US markets? 
And do you observe any stark differences in prior regimes in the other markets that you look at? Uh, definitely. There, there are big differences between markets. The big difference we can see is Asia versus Europe. So if we take a step back and look at how markets behave, I would argue that in the very, very, very long term, an equity market should just reflect the local earnings. So if Canadian earnings is at level X, it doesn't matter where US earnings is, because yeah. essentially you are going to price your own earnings. It's in a very long run because obviously they are great trading partners and information from the US can be used to understand what can happen in the Canadian economy, yeah. as an example. But what is a little bit baffling is that regardless of what horizon you're looking at, prices are always much more correlated than underlying fundamentals. And that's true for growth, which is more difficult to analyze because you have relationships on trading that goes between yes. countries. But if you look at the local earnings and look at the correlation between, as an example, Canada versus US or Canada versus Japan and do that, those average correlations are going to be a third or at least a lot lower than the actual correlations you see in returns over the same period. It's rather obvious that that would be the case over, say, a month or over a day. Over a day, you can't analyze, obviously, earnings over a day. But if you're looking at like three months, six months, one year, but even if you look at the longer term, there's much higher correlations on prices than you have on underlying fundamentals. And that's essentially something that you can exploit because what happened in Asia was that all markets reacted when Ukraine was invaded and energy prices started soaring. And there was this fear that, okay, inflation had already started going up before the Ukraine war, but obviously Europe was the most affected and it still is. But the Japanese market, as an example, tumbled down almost the same magnitude as everything else, but then has diverged from all other markets because in the end, the inflation levels they saw wasn't the same as in Europe. It diverged and that's something you can essentially pick up by understanding the local economy rather than thinking that US is everything or Europe is everything. That absolutely makes sense. And so when you think about your time traveler dates for Japan now, are they similar to the US in terms of pointing to the 60s and the 70s? Definitely not. It's a, it's a totally different story because if you look at the, the 70s and whatnot for the Japanese economy, that looked completely different from what you saw in, in the US economy. So as an example, around 2014 in Japan is closer to today, whereas no one would signal a similarity between the US economy today and 2014. But in Japan, and that's not the only date it picks up on, but one of the most important sort of chunks of information comes from 2014. That's fascinating context, given that Japanese equity markets have been so strong this year and last. So in terms of use cases for your data sets and your toolkit, we've spoken about the predictive power potential. We've spoken about the storytelling narrative, which to me is absolutely fascinating, especially looking at these differences by region and country. You mentioned earlier that structured products is another area of interest for you. Is there anything you can say on that topic? Yeah. So as we were discussing before, we will launch a series of investable indices and products on the basis of this, which can be long-only cross-asset, long-short cross-asset. So in the first example, think of a 60-40 portfolio where this can act as a complement. We yeah. can essentially implement it as an overlay to portfolios, but it can also be long-short, similar to a sort of cross-asset trend strategy, but built with these signals in mind. But as mentioned earlier as well, on the industry group, where we see quite high efficacy, basically building portfolios that 
in different regions try to build a long short strategy on the basis of industry groups and then basically try to extract the alpha from the the time traveler database well that's brilliant so perhaps if i try and wrap up everything we've discussed in both of these parts of the series so frederick you are a huge advocate of looking into the long run looking into the long term you believe that there are greater sources of inefficiencies perhaps by looking into the long term, whether that's because of a lack of easily available data or a lack of experience of the investor or a lack of inclination of the investor. And as a result, this is a space where you've really spent a lot of time and attention and focus creating very valuable data sets and toolkits and now analytical insights for our clients. So we spoke earlier in part one about your SIFT dataset, your Strategic Index Fundamental Toolkit, a dataset that goes all the way back to the 1960s with clean, normalized data on which you can analyze. And then we've spoken today in part two about your Time Traveler dataset, which shows you these 10 dates in history that current markets most mimic based on a combination of fundamental and macro data and to some extent price data, which you can use as an alpha generating signal or as a storytelling tool or as a strategy, which you will be discussing with investors in due course, no doubt. So I think it's absolutely amazing work. It's so incredibly interesting and insightful and in many ways to me, and therefore I hope for our listeners, a breath of fresh air to be focusing on such a long period of history versus the shorter term data sets we often talk about. So Frederick, thank you so much for taking the time to run through all of this with me today. Thank you, Eloise. It was a pleasure to discuss with you again. And hopefully we can discuss this in the future again. Definitely. And I'm really looking forward to touching base in three or six months, let's say, and figuring out whether the markets continue to mimic the 70s dates that you were providing earlier. Thank you also to our listeners for tuning in to this bi-weekly podcast from our group. If you'd like to learn more about the content discussed today and all of Frederick's work, then please do take a look at our podcast notes where we'll show relevant links and documentation. Otherwise, we'd love to hear feedback on our content and hear about other topics you'd like covered. So if you do have feedback or questions, please do go to our website at jpmorgan.com forward slash market dash data dash intelligence. And there you can send us a message via the contact us form. And with that, we'll close. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Market Matters. If you've enjoyed this conversation, we hope you'll review, rate, and subscribe to J.P. Morgan's Making Sense to stay on top of the latest industry news and trends. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. The views expressed in this podcast may not necessarily reflect the views of J.P. Morgan Chase & Co. and its affiliates. Together, J.P. Morgan... They are not the product of J.P. Morgan's research department and do not constitute a recommendation, advice, or an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any security or financial instrument. This podcast is intended for institutional and professional investors only and is not intended for retail investor use. It is provided for information purposes only. Referenced products and services in this podcast may not be suitable for you and may not be available in all jurisdictions. J.P. Morgan may make markets and trade as principal in securities and other asset classes and financial products that may have been discussed. For additional disclaimers and regulatory disclosures, 
please visit www.jpmorgan.com forward slash disclosures forward slash sales and trading disclaimer. For the avoidance of doubt, opinions expressed by any external speakers are the personal views of those speakers and do not represent the views of J.P. Morgan.